The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're with us each week as well. I want to encourage you, like we're going to start, look at a passage, kind of launch out of Ephesians. And we've been in this family series, uh, Patria, which means uh, it's a Greek word for family. We've been in it for a few weeks. I'm kind of anxious to land it and start another book study, and uh, we'll do that here in the real near future, maybe as soon as next week, maybe one more week of this. I haven't decided yet, but we'll let the Lord lead on that. When you have kids, um, like as soon as you get your wife gets pregnant, you desire to be the best parent you can be. And so you want to do everything that you can to be the best that you could possibly be. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, And and I want to say, for those of you who don't have kids, man, this stuff is so so relevant um, to how we grow spiritually. So everything that I talk about, man, it's rooted in our spiritual development that helps us to become great parents. And so you might be thinking, well, I, you know, like this doesn't really apply to me. It does. Like it, it applies so much to you um, because one, there's a good chance that you'll probably have kids one day. And two, it just applies to all of us because it's how we grow um, with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord as the simple secret of great parenting is treating your kids the way God treats you. And so you got to be able to identify how does, how does the Lord treat me? How does he interact with me? And that's why the thing, the whole thing about Jesus's mission was really um, to drop the hammer on religion and show people that it's really about a relationship with God. The whole thing is about a relationship with God. And as we connect with him and we relate to him and he with us, as he communicates his truth to us and we walk that truth out in obedience, then we begin to learn how God interacts with us. If we just go to church and we engage in religious activities, then we don't really know how to relate to God. And really God starts to feel somewhat unrelatable because we've reduced the relationship down to a practice as opposed to a whole life. And, and the only way you can come into the kingdom is by giving your life to the Lord. And so to succeed uh, in being a great parent, you must understand spiritual development, okay? And so like when we look at what is, what is God's objective for the world? So look at the chaos happening over in Europe and, and Vladimir Putin like invading Ukraine and the Ukrainian people going through oppression and the world looking at it and kind of like what, what is God, like as he looks at this, how does, how does it feel to him? It doesn't feel any different to him than when the Israelites were dealing with the Amalekites thousands of years ago. This has always been a situation with God, and he has an objective for the world. And the objective we can find in Ephesians chapter 7, and, and, or chapter 1, I'm sorry, there's not seven chapters of Ephesians. Uh, and so uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, and prior to that, you could kind of look at this later, you'll see a lot of talk about being chosen and predestination and um, be, being adopted, things of that nature. And you see this family language. But when we get to verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. And so we, through the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, we have redemption. He has reclaimed us. And it says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So what is the objective of the Lord, of God himself? It is to bring everything on heaven and earth under the lordship and headship of Christ, where Christ is ruling over all. And so we live during the church age where Christ is not ruling over all, that people surrender their lives to Jesus and then Christ becomes Lord of their lives and he begins to rule them. But not everybody is doing that. The time will come, and we just finished this um, extensive study through the book of Revelation, where Jesus will return to the planet and everyone will be under the headship of Christ. Some to be with him and reign with him forever and some to forever be separated from him. And we will see the judgment that takes place at that time. But until then, his objective is to bring everything under his control. And so God looks over and, and he sees what is happening and with Russia and Ukraine and, and his heart aches for his people. I'm reminded of the passage of scripture when Jesus literally walked on the planet and he went to a high place and he looked over Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And there was rejection. And so the Lord allows people during the time uh, of the age of grace, where grace is extended really to all of humanity, the Lord allows the freedom of will, whether we choose to give our lives to Jesus or we choose to reject him. And so right now for us, the mission of the church is to help people understand how to come under the lordship and control of Christ. And we are joining in the objective that Paul is teaching us about here in Ephesians, which is really just an extension of what Jesus said was the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is just another way to say, man, reach people and teach people how to live under the headship and the lordship of Christ. And so when we begin that journey and you give your life to Christ, then what happens is you start to learn how God treats us. We call it, um, the theological term is sanctification. It's spiritual growth. So we start a journey, we give our lives to Jesus, and we can't just reduce it to, well, when I was a baby, I was baptized. Or I belong to this church. Well, that, if you read the New Testament, you're not gonna find anything that looks remotely like that. What you're going to find is things like, take up your cross every day and die to yourself and follow me. And so you'll see the movement of relationship. And so we have to make sure that we understand that as we enter this relationship, we start to learn. We start to go through the process of sanctification. And, and that just means that I'm, I'm continually learning different areas of my life. I've been saved. I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. 
I've been born again, as Jesus says in John chapter three, but now I'm learning and identifying through the power of the word falling on my my ears and my mind meditating on it and the Holy Spirit challenging me, I'm learning areas of my life that I have not surrendered to the Lord. And when I identify those areas, then I surrender them. It's, it's sort of why Jesus said, make disciples and baptize them. It's an area of surrender. And so we have several people that's exciting that are have said, hey, man, I, I want to take this step. And, and maybe you're one of those people. And you're like, man, I, I'd like to visit about being baptized. You just, w- what do you do? Well, right now, like, don't worry about figuring everything out. Probably the first step for you is to take your connection card, tear it out of the bulletin, and put it in that offering plate on the way out so that you can take a step of faith. That is an act of surrender. You say, well, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, the, one of the pastors is going to call me. You're exactly right. Because you're surrendering something. You don't want to because it's an act of surrender. But that in that surrender is spiritual growth. And, and, and so we go, well, okay, now I've gotten baptized. I'm done. No, you're not. Like the Lord will show you something else. He will always just keep showing you. And until he returns, then we are trying to bring our flesh under the subjection of the Holy Spirit and, and the Lord helps us in the midst of that. And so we go through this process of growth and we begin to learn lessons in that. This is the beauty, is that the Lord starts to teach us lessons and he always wraps them in patience, grace, truth, and love. And so he, he wraps those lessons up in there and we learn them and we receive them and we grow. And as that happens, then we are learning how to become parents because it's simple. You take those lessons and you transform, transfer them to your kids. You do not impose them on your kids. You play the role of God in their lives, teaching them lessons that you have learned from the Lord himself, wrapped in grace, truth, love, and mercy, and you play like their first experience of who God is. He said, well, that kind of sounds weird. Shouldn't I be helping them to, to know God himself? That's what you're doing. You, you see, God is in you, and you are the body of Christ. And so for these young minds that are impressionable, these souls that come into, our, into the world through this vehicle of the family then we become priests of our home and we help them to see who God is and we don't do that by imposing religion on them. We do that by modeling the relationship we have with God by having the same kind of relationship with them that we have with the Father. And that's, that's, how, that's just how you parent. So if you're not walking with the Lord, you cannot be the parent that the Lord wants you to be because you don't know the lessons that the Lord is teaching you. And, and so when we look at this, we go, okay, this is pretty simple. It just requires some um, surrender on my part. And then I begin to treat God or treat my kids the same way. So how does God treat us? Let me give you a few things um, before I, I, I unpack something else. Is that first of all, when we look at our relationship with God, we see that he understands us. So we should understand our kids. Like, that's so vitally important. Um, the, the writer of Psalms says this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. 
One of the greatest passages in the New Testament that will help you relationally with the Lord is out of the book of Hebrews. And it talks about, we don't have a high priest um, that hasn't been tempted like we've been tempted. We have one who's been tempted in all ways, yet he is without sin, referring to Christ. And what does that teach us? That Christ, men, we're never going to experience anything that Christ doesn't understand what we're walking through. And that is such a beautiful thing to know that as I'm trying to relate to the Lord and I'm, I'm tripping up and I'm struggling, I know the Lord understands me. And so when we see this, we know that God knows what makes us tick. He knows how we're wired. He knows the things that we enjoy. Now, several years ago, um, I was teaching uh, in a, a, a group of students, um, high school students. And so I, was doing a little, I wanted to do a little research, and I just asked them. I said, like, hey, guys, before I start talking, I'm just kind of curious. When you look at your parents, you say, if you guys were to come to an agreement What's the number one complaint you have about parents? And it was, they don't understand me. They don't understand me. Now, I know that there's a part of that that is just not understandable, <laughs> right? And that's okay, but that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about they, their parents weren't relating to them and trying to understand them. And so I want you just to pause for a moment. If you're a parent to think about how tough it would be to follow God if you thought he didn't understand you. You probably wouldn't follow him because you wouldn't think that he understood anything about you. But the more you recognize that he does understand everything about you and the more you experience that, I love a, a word that John used um, all the time in his gospel is the word gnosko, it's experiential knowledge. And he was referring to this relationship we would have with Jesus, we would experience something and it wouldn't just be a head knowledge, it would be something that would impact us so um, um, intensely and so deeply that it would shift the way we live life because it was more than just something we, we knew. It's something that we experienced. Proverbs chapter 24, verse three says, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. So it is through wisdom and understanding that we are able to build up a home. And in that, I think God is telling us when it comes to our children, we need to study our kids and we need to know what makes them the way they are. And every child has a unique bent. Now, for those of you who have a couple of children, it, it, it becomes a little easier. Um, but it, when you have several, like we have five, they're nothing alike. You would, and it's a couple of them look alike, a couple of them look like me, several of them look like Abby, but they are nothing alike. And, and, and they're like, faith is this organizer, room never dirty, um, just got everything, all of her ducks in a row. She's the only one. <laughs> and so, uh, and so we, 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 you, you just like, this is the way it is, right? There's nothing we can do about it. Um, and so we could look at that and try to force the others to be like, we, we could try to say, hey, look and learn, but they're, they're just not like that, right? And, and it's our job as parents to understand that each one is built differently. Now, this no way excuses, I ain't gonna get myself out, this no way excuses, dude, I do not wanna hear, well, my room's dirty because I'm bent different, all right? Like, don't, don't throw that at me, guys. 
is you got responsibilities, but, but we, we have to understand, man, every kid is different. And so it's important for us to understand how and who our kids are. That's, that's, that's a really important part about parenting because that's what God does with us. And that leads into the second one. God accepts you, so you should accept your kid. God doesn't wait for you to get all things worked out and then he says, okay, you've made it. No, like he, he meets you right where you're at, a broken mess. As a matter of fact, the Lord does his best work when a person is, is they realize they're nothing. They're just a total mess. And he accepts them right there in the midst of the mess and the master starts to do um, his best work. So you have to accept your children just the way they are. That's called grace. It's just grace. God gives us grace. We have to give our children grace. And the Lord says that children are a gift from him. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so we have to, like, I think for each one, we should accept them as a gift. Not as each, like each child individually needs to be accepted as the Lord made them uniquely from all the rest. And in that, so what do I mean by accept them? And I think this is a, a dangerous thing that as parents we have to avoid is that we accept them the way they are and don't try to make them into yourself. And I think that our community, one of the things that I see tripping people up the most and one of the largest idols that exist in the home in South Johnson County in Overland Park where we live is parents idolize their kids. And they're trying to vicariously live through their kids and give them all the experiences they wish they would have had and try to get them to do things that they wish they would have done when what the Lord asks us to do is just accept them the way they are because they may not even like the things that we liked. And you can't force a kid to go down a road, a road that he doesn't want to go. You can force them, but you will break them. You will break your relationship. And they don't want to follow you because you're forcing them into an area that they're not bent that way. You may have been bent that way, but they aren't bent that way. And so if you don't understand and accept them for how they're bent, then what happens is you begin to cause conflict in your home because ultimately what your kids will do if you don't accept them is you will force them to wear a mask. And they will put that mask on right before they walk through the front door when they become teenagers. They will put it on and when they walk out the door and get in their car, they will take it off and put it in the glove box. And what they are at home is not what they will be when they're away from you because you are not accepting them and they have had a fear that they can't be who they are so they end up playing in a great drama and acting like something else when they're at home than when they're away from you. And that's not, like you, you never wanna be in that situation so you wanna understand the importance of accepting a kid just the way the Lord made them. And then that leads us to um, the next thing that I see how God treats us is he he disciplines us, so we should discipline our kids. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, the Lord dis disciplines those whom he loves. He, he engages in consequences that are difficult for me to um, deal with when I willingly am walking in disobedience and sin. <laughs> he has laid it out in his word from the time that he started a nation called Israel, 
all the way up through the New Testament that he came to save Israel and die on the cross of Calvary, he said, there, there, there will be consequences if you willingly rebel against what I've taught you to do. And he disciplines us, okay? And we can feel that discipline. We feel it in the sense of the burden that we carry, the guilt that we carry, where we know we're walking in disobedience. It begins to weigh us down and emotionally, and uh, it, it impacts us. It causes us to feel distance between uh, him if we don't respond in, to the discipline that he engages in, it, in us. Uh, sometimes it leads to very painful experiences, um, Usually, no, not usually, if even when our disobedience leads to a very painful experience, if we will learn from the discipline and run back to him, it is in the deepest and darkest, most painful experiences of our lives that the Lord teaches us the most. Now, if we keep running, it's not the case the consequences just become greater and greater and greater. And so in all of that, I can look and I can go, okay, the Lord, he, he engages in discipline. He, um, there are consequences for my decision. And the word says that if I don't um, do that, like if he doesn't do that, that he doesn't love me. And so if I don't do that, I don't love my kids. If I don't do that for my kids, the way that God disciplines me, I don't love them. And so I must engage in discipline um, or I'm not loving them completely. And then we find um, God loves you, so you should love your kids, okay? In Hebrews, um, oh, I'm sorry. And uh, we, obviously we know God loves us for God so loved the world. God loves, he, we read here how he has redeemed us out of Ephesians. Um, he's chosen us. We have all of this language um, about how the Lord loves us. And so when it comes to our relationship with our kids, we have to love them. We say, ah, oh, that's a given. Okay, well, what does it mean to love? Because the, the world, sometimes culture can really um, screw us up and we think love is a feeling. Well, I, I just love my kids. And certainly you have a feel for a love that you have for your kids. But love is not a feeling. Love is something we engage in as, as an action. And when it comes to parenting, um, there are three ways to, to love your kids. The first one is just affection. It's physical contact, hugs, kisses, pats on the back. Okay, this is so easy and so fun when they're two-year-olds. It becomes a little more difficult when they're 13. And for those of you with daughters, okay, when I was starting my family, I didn't want girls. I was like, I do not want girls. And people think, why would you say such a horrible thing? It's because I was terrified about having to give them away to a guy. I just didn't want to walk through that, right? But I have girls now, and I would, I would trade one girl for three boys. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. I, 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 I might, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but uh, so, so I do all oh, my girls. I love my girls, but with I got three. Without fail, your girls, when they get in, like for me. And I, I think it'll probably happen to most of you too. When they get into seventh grade, the girls, they just act like they don't like you anymore. And they act like you're stupid. And they, they be, even like I told Zoe a year ago, I said, if you do this, like no more are we tight like we are. And she's doing it. <laughs> and in eighth grade, it even gets worse. But thank the Lord, 
after the summer of between eighth and ninth grade, they just come out of it. At mine have, thank the Lord. And they like me again, okay? And, and I don't mean like they're, they're mean to me or anything. Well, yeah, no, they are. They're mean. <laughs> I do mean that. They, we have a good relationship. It's just like, men. You, you went for this little special thing that butterfly kisses to, you know? And so, uh, and so anyway, I just want to encourage you to know um, that when they get there, it's a little awkward time. And all of my kids, I've always shown them affection. I've always tried to, to hug them and do different things like that. And so when they get in that stage, it becomes a little more different. And right now, Caitlin, she's in eighth grade, uh, and I'll go over and she'll try to act like she just don't have any time for me. And I'll, I'll sit in her lap and I'll hug her and she'll just, mm. but I know you love it. See, I know. <laughs> I am communicating something. You are important to me. And even though you act like you don't like this, you're going to get it because I want you to know you're mine and you will always be mine. And it's an act of love when we engage in that. Um, and then there's affirmation, the way we, we talk and what we say. One of the things I, I would always do when my kids were little and growing up and is I would tell they would be doing something and I would be like, hey, hey, Joel, you know what? And he'd be like, what? I said, I love you, bro. And just tell him that. And, and I would try over and over to give words of affirmation because it's so important. It's a way in which we build confidence in them. And then um, really, really important, number one way is, is attention. That's how kids sense that they're loved. And sometimes we feel like, well, it's quality. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my kids to Disney World. If that's the measure of love, I don't love my kids because I can't get that done with five of them, right? I've looked at it before and I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, we'll go down to uh, worlds of fun. <laughs> so, but, but, and, and again, that is, a way, that is a way to love. Certainly, you're on a family trip. So I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But what I mean is a lot of times we feel like, well, I'm going to invest this. I, I've got this time. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take my son on this fishing trip. And again, those are great things, but it's not um, quality. It's quantity. It's how much time can we spend with them throughout the week, not just in a season. Like I'm going to work real hard for three months and then I'm going to go and invest in my kids for a week. That doesn't work, man. You, you got to be there and give them quantity time. Be in their lives um, consistently throughout the week. Let them know that you're there. And certainly it's easier when they're younger and then they get up to independence and, and start going through this thing of adolescence and they, de they develop their own friend group and, and it's harder to to spend time with them, but if you've done a good job, they will want to be with you sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. And so just know that that's how we love. We, we don't love in how much we financially give them. That's, that's just provision, okay? And certainly it's an act of love, but it's not the one that's really going to shape them and mold them. If, if that's all we ever experience from God and none of the other stuff, it would be hard to relate to him. And so like, just be aware of that. And so it is within this ethos, like in this, all of that, all that I've described is how God brings everything under the headship of Christ. That's how he does it. All of those things, the Lord brings a person underneath the lordship of Christ. 
And so he shapes a person and brings him under his control by doing those things. So for parenting, um, what we've got to do is be able to reproduce that. And I would say even when we're trying to help somebody grow in the Lord in a discipling relationship or, uh, and we're trying to just help them see who the Lord is, this is, this is the way it works, okay, is that we do the same thing. And um, here's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have these things, you won't be ineffective and unproductive when it comes to the things of the Lord. And so the mo here's the most strategic thing that I did as a parent, okay? I, listen, in no way, shape, or form I, do I wanna come off as, oh, I've, I've got it figured out. Um, I don't even know why I did this or how I did this other than the Lord just kind of took me on a journey. And so I don't, I don't want to in, in any way come off that way. But I do want to come off and go, man, the Lord, like he took me on this journey. I did it with my kids and it seemed to be really effective and worked. Um, they, they have a heart for the Lord. I've, I feel like I have a, a really deep relationships with them and I'm able to talk with them about things that they struggle with. And so it's been a pretty cool experience. And as I watch some of you that are in this uh, age of, of what I would call the Plato years, like they're impressionable from, from the time they get, you bring them home for the, from the delivery room to the 12 years old. And man, that is the time to do work. That is the time that you are shaping that soul for the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that they will become. So I kind of want to share with you what I've done that I felt has, has been really helpful for our family. And, and the first thing is to understand like the, the phases of control. In this passage, Peter says, he, he really hones in there in the beginning on control, self-control. And so um, there are three phases of control that impact spiritual development. And the first one is parental control. That God gives you a soul to develop and you are totally under, that, that, that soul is totally under your control. And we feed them, we dress them, um, we bathe them, like we do all of these things. Um, and this little bitty soul is completely under our control. And uh, nobody shows us how to do that. <laughs> like you, the, the city will tell you, you cannot work, like you can't go over and do somebody else's electricity, but here's a soul, take it home. Like, and you're like, what do I do with this thing? What do I do with this human being? And so we, we're infatuated with them. They don't have to tell us because we care for them more than we care for anything else. Our lives have been shifted when this new soul comes into our family. And, and we're infatuated with meeting their needs. And that infatuation is healthy and put into our DNA by God. And it is normal. But if not understood, it will lead to failure in adolescence. What do I mean by that? Um... Just as the Holy Spirit takes us through phases of development, God expects us to lead our kids through phases of development. 
And so what happens is you become infatuated with this, this, this soul, this, this baby that has come into your home. And you want to do everything that you can to provide for them. And you invest in them financially by, by, you know, just everything that you do. And then you worry about them. You worry when they're out of your presence. You worry their first day of school. You worry if they're doing a sleepover at someone's house. And so you, that parental instinct can come to a place where you're in so much control of them that you control them all the way through 12 years old and then they are going to gain independence. Even if you think you're in control, by the time they hit 13, they will show you that you are not in total control. And so what do we do? Well, strategically, our objective must be to move them to self-control as soon as possible. In as many areas as we possibly can. From the the day that we bring them home, we have to intentionally identify areas to move them from parental control to self-control. And uh, find as many as we can as early as we can. And and the, the danger is that often parental control is easier than developing self-control. It's easier just to keep the situation. For instance, you, you're teaching a kid how to eat and the, you, instead of wiping their face off and teaching them to wipe their face, you just wipe their face every time because it's easier. It's easier to wipe a, a, a little toddler's face off and get all the food off their face than it is to start to teach them how to do that. And it's easier to feed them. It's easier to do all of these things. And we, we sort of start to be- develop this protective bubble around them. And we don't move them to this, this place of self-control. And it can be extremely dangerous. And so at, by early adolescence, what I believe is, is that... Um, Kids need a solid ability to be able to control themselves. And so what you do is you use these two phases of control to help them. You use the parental control to help them develop self-control. And you do it early. Like, do it early as you can. I'd say about, about the time a kid is 18 months old, you, you ought to be really engaging in this and just looking for every opportunity that you can find where you can move them to self-control. And so my kids, like one of the things, the, the, the typical saying in our home was, hey, if you don't want to be under parental control, you better exercise some self-control right now. And if you don't, I will bring you right back under parental control. And they understood that. They understood that from the time they were little bitty. Now, how, do I, how did I achieve that? There were a couple of strategies that I used, and the first one I called the reminder. Okay, some of you have heard me talk about this. But I got the boys and, and Faith, I think this was before the two youngest were around, I got them around the table, and I brought in from the shop a little piece of plywood about that, about that long and got their markers out and we sat down and we had a craft project and we wrote the reminder on it man and I was like this is so cool man and they were looking at it and everything and as we got done I said hey man you know why we wrote the reminder on this and Jonah said because it reminds us what we shouldn't do I said you're exactly right bro and it will be used on your rear anytime that you don't use self-control and so, man, like, we would, I'd pop the kids early. And some of you would say, man, I can't believe he's talking about spanking in, in uh, 2022. You're, I would, I'd just say, man, like, 
I can't imagine trying to lead a home with five kids without engaging in that. And, and I see it as biblical. We're not talking about beating kids. We're talking about spanking kids, right? And so men, I take that thing early and I, I showed them that I will pop your little rear if you don't do what you're supposed to do. And so they knew that they had to respond to that. And, and so that has helped them. Now, now I learned that at, at, in my life early on. And I would say to you, man, like I, I'm not gonna get into all the, the uh, disciplines of how you do that. Um, you can learn that somewhere else. But, but I, I would say, don't spank a kid before 18 months old and don't spank them after 12 years old. That's kind of like, like they're, they're getting into independence then and if you do it then, you're probably just gonna make them mad. I didn't have to spank my kids uh, like a little bit after a few years old. As a matter of fact, I didn't spank my kids very often. You know why? Because they knew I would spank them and they knew I meant business and they knew that I was an authority and they knew they had to respect that authority and there were going to be consequences. Just like I walk in the fear of the Lord, they walked in the fear of me in a healthy way. And I was able to help them establish self-control in their lives by engaging in that. The other thing that I do, and I think this one's a little more difficult, is I taught them how to breathe, okay? We do this thing that you breathe. The kids will come running to you, and they're mad, and they're out of control, and they're crying. And so the temptation is to grab them, pick them up. I look at them like they're crazy. See, I can't understand anything you're saying. You need to breathe and get control of yourself. But I, I still can't understand you. And finally they're, you know, and they get it out. And so why am I doing that? Because I need to teach them to control their emotions because if you don't control your emotions, you can't be successful in life. And, and so like, you gotta be able to do that. And so they, they would do that. And this works, I mean, you said this works on your kids, but it wouldn't work on mine. It, I, I've done it with Zeke Haddock. It would work on any kid, Okay. It would work on any kid on the planet. And so, <laughs> and so, um, the, the, so one time like, I got a call from Abby. This is one of my favorite stories to tell about the family. And, and so I get a call from Abby and she says, oh, you're gonna have to be ready to meet me when I get home. She's driving in the Suburban, loaded down with kids. Man, she says, Jonah is like, he has lost it. He's going crazy in the car. And Jonah is a strong-willed kid, man. Um, and he's a little guy at this time. And I said, what in the world is going on? I'm trying to get something done here and she says oh man Joel ate his candy and he is upset man he ate all the kids ate all of it and he's mad I was like geez Louise I got things they pull in and he is man I mean Jonah is like Abby like he doesn't get mad very often but when he gets mad there are two things one you're gonna know it because his disposition like turns completely red now, and, and I, I mean, Abby, like, she can get really red. And when she plays sports, she gets really red. One of the reasons I married Abby is I went to watch her the first time to play basketball, and she picked the girl up and threw her down. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. I couldn't believe it. Like, she was so soft-spoken. But anyway, and so, so that's kind of how Jonah is, man. He's, he's, he's kind of that way. And so he comes, he's just so mad, and he's, he's, he doesn't want to talk, and I'm trying to get, get him. I say, man, you need to breathe. We need to talk about this. So we sat down on the grass right there where they parked. Everybody else went in, and we just sat there and talked, and he told me, they ate all my candy. And I was, I was like, hey, and I was like, hey, man, you need to negotiate. And he stopped for a minute and, and he just like kind of looked at me funny. I said, don't you understand? 
that I could take you to the store right now and I could buy you a case of Skittles. And he said, what's negotiate? (laughs) And so I proceeded to tell him about it and I got him calmed down. Well, just so happened the next week I got a call, Jonah was in preschool and I got a call from the preschool teacher. Mr. Holbrook, I'm trying to teach the kids how to color and Jonah put a coloring sheet on his desk and he colored all over the desk and everything. And I said, Jonah, we don't color that way. And he picked his coloring sheet up and tore it up. So I don't know what to do. And so I told her the story about the candy and that we're trying to navigate through these things and, and this is how we're dealing with it. Give it that, a shot. If he does anything again like that and you can't get control of him, you call him. I will shut everything down and I will be at the school. And so she's, okay. A week later, she calls me again. <laughs> Mr. Holbrook, we were te- I was teaching the kids how to use scissors. And Jonah started cutting up his papers and I was trying to get him not to and I told him to stop that and he cut out a chunk of his hair. (laughs) I said, I'll be there in half an hour. I shut everything down. I called the principal and my plan was to go and use the reminder. I talked to the principal and he said, well, let's just try this. Kids don't often like to use, like to go to the principal's office. I said, okay, I'm game for that. Uh, we'll give that a shot this time. So I go to the, the principal's office. I'm sitting in the principal's office and, and uh, there's a big glass window over to my right and they call Jonah out of class and I'm sitting there outside the principal's office waiting by the receptionist for Jonah to get down there and the principal to call us in. And, and so I'm sitting there and kind of watching and here I see this little head bopping over the window coming down and he turns and he looks and he sees me and he falls apart. I mean, comes through the door, sits down. Dad, I don't want to go to the principal. I don't want to. I mean, he is a, he's a mess. And I said, hey, man, you need to breathe. I said, you, you got yourself into this. And he calmed down a little bit. I said, you got yourself into this. I will go into the principal's office with you, but I am not negotiating for you. You will negotiate yourself with the principal. And so he sits there and we go in. And as we go in, we, the principal says, uh, Jonah, would you and your dad come in? And we walked in and we sat down and the principal asked Jonah, he said, I understand your behavior. And he gave kind of an opening statement and Jonah started to cry, man, and just started to get out of control. And I just sat there and he's, and he I mean, he did it like five times. I'm looking at him. I'm about to start bawling. I'm like, this worked. It worked. The whole thing worked. And and so he negotiated with the principal. I did not get called back to a school until last year. His whole life was the first time. And it was a pretty insignificant thing what happened last year. He wasn't wasn't getting in trouble with the authority figures in his life. And so that's the first time in his life since that time that I had to go to the school. So what is all that? What am I trying to say here? Is that the earlier we can get them to self-control, this is why this is so important, is the easier it is to get them to God's control. This is the one thing my parents did right is they always respect, they were always an authority figure in my life and they always respected the authority figures in my life. They were always going to back the teacher unless it was some kind, something really weird, I would have to push really hard and, and that only happened one time and when it happened, I, I will say this, I got my mom to back me instead of the teacher, okay? I was lying. I was lying about the teacher and I was in, I was in 10th grade, so... 
you know, I'm embarrassed about that for my mom and everything, but just for you, for a teaching moment to know, my mom and dad were always behind the authority figures. They were never, what's wrong with that teacher? And that's kind of what's wrong with our society right now, um, is that when our kids get in trouble, we consistently want to rescue them, protect them, instead of teaching them how to develop um, uh, self-control and put themselves under the, under the Lord's control. And so my parents did that. So when it was time for me to surrender to the Lord, it wasn't that big of a step for me because now the Holy Spirit and God are the ultimate authority in my life. And the better I am at controlling myself, the easier it is to respect authority. And the easier it is at respecting the authority, it is, the easier it becomes to place yourself underneath God's control. So now... The ultimate authority figure in my life is the word of God and God himself as he speaks to me through his word and challenges me to to shift. And so letting kids get away with little things ultimately inhibits connection with God. And we look at that and we go, this is how we help them on their journey. This is how God treats us. And I'll leave you with this big idea. Our freedom to live is measured by the control we give. It's always like, <laughs> the more control that we give to God as the authority, we control ourselves. That's why Peter says, add to your self-control, knowledge and goodness and all these other things. So the more that I can take and control myself and surrender it to God as the authority, then what happens is the more freedom that I get. So at our house, like we don't have these standard set of rules. We have freedom. And the more you control yourself, the more freedom that you have to go and live your life. The more that you don't control yourself, the more you will be brought back to parental control and you will lose freedom in your life. And so they know that. They know when they step into something, this is gonna severely impact your freedom and what you get to do and how you get to make your decisions about where you're going and who you're spending time with and all of these things is you have brought yourself in this place. I didn't put you there. And so they know that and, and we're, we're moving in and out of that because that's how God treats us. And so I think um, for me so far, it is working and I wanna encourage you in that. And I wanna encourage you to also understand, man, the more, that, the more that I surrender to the Lord, the more freedom that he gives me to live, the more I feel alive. And the more that I hold on to, the less I feel alive, the less joy I have, um, the less peace I have. Uh, but, but as I surrender, man, and and control myself and give it to the Lord. It's like he just keeps putting more freedom on, more freedom. And life starts getting really light and enjoyable. And so I would encourage you in those things. Um, You're here today. We'll close with a song. If you want to come and pray, man, like maybe you want to grab your kids and come down and pray. That's okay. Love to see some of you do that. Maybe you're struggling a little bit. Uh, maybe you want to pray right there where you're at, circle your family up. That's, that's fine. Don't, don't think that you can't do that. And you say, well, people will be looking at me. That's all right. Maybe they start praying with you and praying for you. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.